0: Welcome to Pivot, a podcast for church leaders sponsored by Faith Lead at Luther Seminary. Pivot invites church leaders to use disruptive moments to reimagine how they think about church, ministry, and leadership. Welcome to Pivot. I'm Terry Elton, and today's episode is What Difference Does Faithful Innovation Make?
1: And I'm Alicia Granholm, and I would love to introduce our guest, Tessa Pinkstaff. She is on our Faith Lead team at Luther Seminary, and she's currently the project manager for Faith Lead Academy. She's done some significant work with a lot of our grants, including the Leadership for Faithful Innovation Tessa leads a Dwelling in the Word webcast weekly and is passionate, very passionate about spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices. So welcome, Tessa. We are so glad to have you with us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about this Faithful Innovation cohort that you worked with and maybe
2: a takeaway that you had from working with that cohort? Thanks, Alicia. Thanks, Terry. So grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. So... When I started working at Luther about three years ago, uh, my primary role was working with the Leadership for Faithful Innovation Grant. And I was actually brought onto the team to do the administration and the logistics. So initially, that was my role. I was helping to make sure that people had what they needed, when they needed it. And I was helping to shepherd the process of getting the right things in the right place at the right time. But what was kind of incredible about my journey through the grant, and actually, it sort of mirrored the journey that the pastors themselves were on. I actually started to get more involved in the spiritual practices. I mean, as you already mentioned, that was that's my area of passion. That's my ministry, and it's 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 the reason uh, it's the reason why I do what I do. And as I was part of this grant, as I started to get more involved with the practices, it started to change how I worked on the project as well. Uh, I started to see my own work as ministry. I started to uh, feel empowered to be looking for the way that God was leading in the things that I was doing and it was mirroring this journey that the pastors themselves were on. And so one of the key takeaways that that I got from this work is that we need to be empowered. We need to be empowered to look for the ways that God is speaking to us through our work. And then I I noticed with the pastors that they needed that same thing but in a different way. They needed to be empowered to Allow the people around them to be looking for the way that God is leading. And I just wanna, I I wanna throw in a story right off the bat that I, there was one pastor that we were working with who said that he actually, uh, the most exciting part of this, of working on this grant for him was his people had a meeting without him and they were looking for the way that God was leading and speaking to them. And it didn't necessarily involve him. And he said that was the most exciting point in the grant for him. And he realized that, you know, I I can shepherd and my people can be empowered and they can actually start to do these things on their own without me having to guide every step of the process. I love that, Tessa. Okay, thanks. So that's a, a long answer to a short question.
0: Yeah. I think one of the pieces, you and I, Tessa, have heard this in a lot of our listening, how pastors or paid leaders really want to empower people in their congregations and lay leaders or kind of even just everyday Christians that want to participate, and they don't always know how. And so, I love that little story as an example of these practices were just one way, right, that that could happen. So, I want to turn back the clock. Three years, wow, a lot has changed in three years, right? And I would like both of you to tell a story, because Alicia, you were involved in, not at the beginning, but you got brought in to this this grant as well, in the sense of like, where were people pre-pandemic? My gut and my memory tell me they were more all over the board, and then this major disruption happened not only for the grant work, but for each congregation, right? And then you ended up getting to gather people again and kind of wrapping it up and I can imagine some people were gung ho from the beginning and were just like, woohoo. But some of them were a little slower adapters to some of these practices. And I'm just wondering if you could tell some stories about how actually living these
2: were tools to live through a pandemic. Alicia, I'm going to jump in first. We had already been working on this grant for at least a year, about a year and a half before the pandemic hit. And what we noticed at the very beginning of the grant was pastors were burnt out they were exhausted they they were wondering if their work mattered they were wondering if they should even be in ministry and we had just started to work on language about looking for god and helping them to see where god is active in their lives and in their ministry so that work was just beginning and was starting to take root when the pandemic hit and i think I want to name that I think one of the blessings of the pandemic was that it accelerated the change it accelerated the growth. I think we yes, it was difficult because we weren't able to gather the trainings had to change we uh, We had some difficulties initially with getting people organized and getting people back on track. but the sense of experimentation and having to adapt and pivot immediately because the pandemic demanded it that was all accelerated because of the the experience that we all went through, this gauntlet that, that we went through as a culture and as a nation and as a world. And I think that we noticed a lot more light bulb moments as people were being forced to try the things that they had been talking about. And it became real. It became real. It no longer could be just, well, we think this is a good idea. No, now it became do or die. And they, they had to implement. They had to innovate. They had to try things. And so we started to see these powerful stories about people saying, you know what, we reached out to our community. We put things online. We started to change the way that we do worship in a way that we never would have tried or expected, and God showed up. And so the stories became, I think, even more powerful in the midst of the pandemic and post-pandemic.
1: Yeah, I agree, Tessa. I think a common comment that I heard from a lot of pastors, particularly, you know, in the summer of 2020, was that the work that they had done with Faithful Innovation prior to the pandemic equipped them to respond to the demands that the pandemic asked of their congregation and of them as leaders in a way that felt very empowering. Um, And even I'll say energizing was, did they have energy? energy? No, nobody did. But they had a way to respond and they didn't feel um, helpless or hopeless that their ministry was effectively shut down or stopped because of the global pandemic. But they really felt that they knew how to respond to the changing needs that were as you said you know immediate and we heard from a number of pastors that the faith innovation process was exactly what they needed to be able to to really respond well to the change That the pandemic forced upon everybody, it was right like it was a a forced change. Uh, Most of us only like the changes that we get to choose on our time, and this was definitely not a change that anybody got to choose on their own time. And so that can be so disorienting when it's forced upon us. And so a a common theme that we heard from so many was that we had the tools we needed to respond. What exactly that meant, we have no. We you know we didn't know, uh, but we knew how to go about figuring out what our way forward was going to look like because of the Faithful Innovation process.
2: I want to name that one of the beautiful things about Faithful Innovation is the way that it fosters curiosity. It gets pastors thinking about, huh, I wonder what this means. I wonder where God is in this. And so it lends itself really well to experimentation. And I know that several of the pastors that we worked with Because they were already in this experimentation mindset when the pandemic hit, they started to think, how can we still gather as a community when we're, in some states, prohibited from gathering indoors? And so several of them actually implemented these outdoor worship services that were very popular with their members. And while I find that exciting, what I find extra exciting is that there was this element of of reaching the neighbor through these outdoor services. They weren't just doing them for their own community, they were doing them for the broader community and they were starting to reach out to the people that lived right next door to the church. So there was this movement of looking beyond our immediate church body and looking to the to the neighborhood, which is which is what we're called to do. And so we saw that opening up because of the pandemic. I love that. And there's two
0: pivots that I heard you say and you this was my question. So it goes really well with the, what you we were just sharing. I think two pivots that I see out of faithful innovation are first, rather than saying, what do we need to do? What do I need to do as the leader? It says, what might God be calling us into, right? Where's God in the midst? That's one pivot. And the second pivot is from just what does our community, what does our community need to what does the neighbor need or what, what's happening outside our doors, right? And Tessa, you talked about both of those pivots. Can you each tell me a little bit about how did the faithful innovation process invite those two, like expand the imagination of leaders to get those two pivots
2: into the conversation? Well, faithful innovation is all about where is God at work? It's all about getting us back to the core of why Why does the church exist? The church exists to grow disciples. And so many churches have lost their way because it becomes about church business. And so the faithful innovation process takes the focus off of, let's manage the church, let's run the church, to let's let's get back to the core work, which is growing disciples. And it gets the pastors back to that core work because it invites them to be thinking about where has God at work in my life? Where has God at work in the life of my congregation? And it does this through spiritual practices, through innovation theory. And I think, I think that it fosters the curiosity because, because it's not about the leader. And it's, it's not about the leader having to figure everything out. And it's not about success and failure. And that's what, what creates this sense of experimentation is okay. Because it moves, it moves the pastor away from feeling like, well, if we try this, if it fails, then we failed. No, God invites us into this exploration of, let's try something, let's try something new. And if it, if it creates spiritual formation, then it's successful. And if it doesn't, then it's still a process that we can look at and figure out what worked, what didn't, and try something new. Engaging in the faithful innovation process.
1: Really, it's a very simple three-step process that doesn't actually sound like much of anything when we talk about it, uh, right? You listen, spend more time listening to each other, God and your neighbors, try something new and reflect on what you learned in trying something new. I mean, it's its so simplistic that I think people question, like, does it actually do anything? <laughs> but we have worked with hundreds of congregations that have started to engage the faith innovation process and i can say that yes in fact very simple practices that are rooted really in you know christian tradition that have been around for centuries it does in fact transform us and has a way of transforming communities and faith communities because as tessa said we it empowers us to get back to our calling as Christians and helping one another really discover what God is up to uh, in our own lives, in the lives of the people around us, in the lives of the people in our neighborhood, and helping us discern what then that might mean, either for our lives as people, as individuals, or our lives as a congregation, our livelihood as a community, as a neighborhood. And it it moves us away from these church questions of like, well, how do we get people to to come to our church? How how do we, we've been inviting people. Why don't they come? Gosh, our, our budget, like our budget is suffering right now. How in the world are we going to be paying our bills? And when, when our two primary focuses are on our budgets and trying to get people to come into our doors those aren't really life-giving focuses if you will. Uh when we <laughs> start to pay much more attention to what God is doing and what the Holy Spirit might be inviting us to do, that's a much more energizing and life-giving way of being a church today.
0: So true. I really resonate with a shift in questions from focusing on budgets or membership or getting people to worship, whatever that means now, whether that's clicks or views or butts and seats, right? That's expanded. But also even saying, what's the point of worship, right? Why are we worshiping? We started just before this, actually at Luther, a practice on why Jesus and gathering our community to have uh, students faculty, staff in a rotating kind of way share why Jesus mattered and made a difference in their life over lunch. And we um, paused it over the pandemic and just actually started it again right now. And I think of that as what a powerful shift in a simple question. Why Jesus matters for you, not in a churchy way, but in a personal way, in a, well, I've been in tears almost every one of them because there's this raw moment of I came to a come to Jesus moment. I came to a life and death. I came to the end of my rope. I came to a time when I felt marginalized or whatever. And God's spirit was there. And the incarnate Christ sometimes showed up in somebody sitting with me or a community praying for me or um, somebody calling me on the phone and inviting me to another way. I know why Jesus has been a practice that you two have experienced. Do you have any stories about kind of how we shift those questions and what difference that makes from a churchy question to a faith question, to a connecting with the creator of the universe question?
2: Terry, I want to start by saying that I the thing that I love about the why Jesus practice is that it gets us to come back to our first love. I mean, we we're doing this for a reason. We're doing this because we love God, or at least we hope that's why we're doing it. And the why Jesus practice, this essentially, what is essentially a testimony practice, gets you to rediscover why why you fell in love with God in the first place. And for the pastors that we actually had involved in that practice who who did it during their time in the grant, they reported that initially their congregations were a little bit hesitant. They said, Well, we're not really, we're not really sure. But over time, over time, it started to help them rediscover their love. And for the pastors too. I, I know this isn't what you asked, but I do want to just say that one of the things I love about faithful innovation is how it works on multiple levels, that it's it's the pastor. And it's the congregation at the same time. It helps the pastor rediscover their first love and get them uh, back into thinking about where God is at work. And then that has a trickle-down effect to the congregation as well, and then outwardly extended to the neighborhood. But to get back to the Why Jesus practice, uh, for me, it has been so inspiring to see within the Luther community people who really didn't think of themselves as having this sense of testimony— being able to articulate what it is that they love about God and how God impacts their daily lives, and and seeing people from all different kinds of Christian journeys being able to s- articulate that in a community setting and to get conversations spurred amongst the people that are listening, that has been an extraordinarily transformative practice for us at Luther.
1: You know, one of the things that we often uh, encourage um, people who are Participants who are going through the Faithful Innovation process to, to start with is having some con- spiritual conversations who, uh, within the congregation, which um, we've learned after doing this for a while that, you know, a lot of people actually don't have spiritual conversations with people in their congregations and they could be with they could have been you know even serving alongside of and being in a congregational community with people for decades and never have had a what we would call spiritual conversation with people and so when we invite people to simply you know share a time when they've been energized in their relationship with God and how might the how was the church was the church involved in that if so how just some what i would think of is you know just some simple questions people have had profound experiences when they share take time to share with one another significant spiritual moments in their life and usually these are stories that they've rarely shared with anyone in part because they've never been asked and there's never time for it. Or I should say maybe time hasn't been made for it. Of course, there's time for it. We just don't make time for it. And so time and time again, when we invite people into this simple spiritual story sharing practice, No fail, literally without fail, we hear life-giving, energizing stories of people having conversations with one another about significant spiritual moments in their life. And that practice in and of itself, as simple as it is, starts the transformation process. And not only does it help people even think about their own spiritual journey, but in hearing other people's spiritual journeys and stories. It helps them even see a different side of God, right? Because each of us is so unique and we're just crazy, unique individuals created on purpose. And God has a way of becoming so real to each one of us in our own unique ways. That when we hear other people's spiritual stories and spiritual journeys, we get to see another side of who God is. And so when we fail to be in community and and share these stories, we, we actually limit even who we experience God to be because we only have our experience of who God is to us. But in reality, when we can be in conversation with others, we get to see other elements of who God is. And it's so energizing for faith communities.
2: I love that, Alicia. You've really highlighted on this picture of this multifaceted view of God that all of these stories combined help us to see more clearly. I think that the practice of spiritual storytelling is especially important because we have a tendency to discount and to rationalize and to explain away the ways that God is at work in the world. And the practice of spiritual storytelling actually allows us to rehearse with each other the ways that God is actively present in our lives. And as people hear the stories, they start to think about how God is active in their own life. And this practice has ancient roots. We see the Israelites rehearsing the activities of God over and over with the story of the Exodus, with the standing stones in the places where God was physically present with the people. And so. We have the opportunity to do this as the church, as the body of Christ, because we need to remind each other that God is still active, God is still present in really tangible and powerful ways. And so, this this practice again just gives us a space where we can show that to each other and where it can become real for so many of us. I want to highlight something you said
1: too, Tessa, because I think that you mentioned curiosity earlier. And this sense of curiosity that the Faithful Innovation Process really evokes for congregations and and pastors. And I I also, our storytelling practice evokes this sense of curiosity because when we just, you know, experience God in our own personal ways and, and are very unaware of how other people might be experiencing God in very different ways and seeing Jesus show up uh, in their daily life, when, when we start to recognize that, yes, God shows up in different ways in people's lives, we start to become much more curious then about how God might be showing up in the lives of our neighbors, often whom we just want to come into the doors of our church. And we're trying to invite to come into the doors of our church. But we actually... We haven't been in conversation with, we haven't been connected to them such that we know their spiritual stories or we know what is keeping them up at night. And one of the Terry and I have we've had this conversation with a few different people on this in this season of pivot. One of the things that keeps coming up is that there has become such a gap between our church services and, and the the work of the church today. And then people's lives and the questions that keep them up at night, their longings and losses. And there's such a gap between people's everyday life and what church has become that it's one of the main reasons people just stop coming or never come. Because the gap is so wide that the work that they would have to do to figure out how to relate what happens within churches today to their everyday life is takes so much effort on their part that it just doesn't feel worth it.
0: What I like about what both of you just said is there's there's two layers of pivoting that I'm hearing. One is from a change theory of let's tell people things on a cognitive level, level. Let's get them to understand and then let's have behaviors follow that a practice-oriented theory of change says just try it, put your body in it, test it out, and it then disseminates it because practices are pretty portable, right? And then then that reflecting that you talked about is critical. What did we learn? What was that like, right? So there's one pivot from a, a theory of change that we often in the church will will just tell people the right way to believe, and then their behavior will follow. But the other thing is, the pivot theologically is is rather than saying "Do you believe?" Now, where do you see God? To having a curiosity about where is God blowing? Where is God active? Where is God in? unlikely places. And man, Tessa, you pointed it out in the Bible, there are all kinds of places that God shows up in really crazy ways, right? And it disrupts the religious leader's way of thinking. And so, the other thing I really like about this is it says, be curious about where God is, and then put that in conversation with the biblical story. Put that in in the conversation Congregation conversation with the congregation or the community of faithful, curious disciples, also trying to figure out where God is, and then say, If this is God, if God is in the midst of this, then what? I think of the exile story when the people just had to be so mad. God, you kicked us out of our land. You said this was our land. And God didn't say, Don't worry, I'm going to like make a way for you to get back you know, pack your bags. He said, no, stay, plant gardens, take wives, make your home here. And I'm like, I feel like there's a point of the church is being said, live in this tension, talk with your neighbors, be a good neighbor, care about what keeps them up at night, wonder where God might be, and then let's talk about it.
1: Terry, I want to share a story that I just, I've been thinking about all morning and I think it it relates to um, what we're talking about because yes, we see, right? Like scripture is filled with these miraculous stories of God showing up in really big ways. And in what I might say also are very mundane ways. And one of the things that we see happen As faithful innovation becomes part of how congregations figure out uh, where God might be inviting them to move forward, we hear stories from people about how God is showing up in their everyday, what we might say mundane life. And it reminds me of a day I was driving home from a meeting. And, uh, I live very close to the mall of America. So I was driving near the mall of America because I was driving your home and I just had this thought at the time I thought it was a random thought, uh, I should go see if my favorite t-shirts are, are in. So I needed some new t-shirts. And so I went to the mall. It's midday. It's pretty empty. Uh, by the way, if you ever want to shop at the mall during a very quiet time, midday is very quiet. Um, I never shop there on the weekends. Whew, no, thank you. So I go... My the store that I buy my t-shirts at, they had no t-shirts for me. So I had just had some margin in my day and I sat down on a bench and I think I was just checking my email quick on my phone. And I looked up and I saw this little girl, uh, rather far ahead from a woman. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Like she's giving her some space to walk and kind of independence kind of thing. And then I could tell at some point that actually they were not together. So then I looked around and I wondered, well, where's the little girl's parents or whomever she's there with? Right. And the woman who had been walking behind her was wondering the same thing. So she and I realized that this little girl is lost and she's trying to find her mom. And I'm going to get Terry. <laughs> so we both pause and ask the little girl, you know, are you okay? Um, do you know where your mom is? She's like, no, I, I don't. And um, so the other woman, said, you know, let me go call mall security. And I went and um, we just kind of sat on the floor waiting for, uh, to figure out kind of like what's next. Because obviously like, you know, I was a new mom at the time. So I knew that whoever she was with was desperately searching for her. Probably very terrified. It's a big mall. you have never been there. It's huge. And there are a million places uh, that little kids could go and get lost. And so I sat there and I um, kind of looked at her. I hadn't really paid a, paid much attention, right? Like a little kid, like I, I wasn't, I hadn't been paying close attention. I just knew kind of in this bigger scheme that like uh, she was lost. And so I asked what her name was and she told me her first name. And then I really looked at her and I noticed that it was my friend's little daughter. And I, you know, was able to tell her in that moment, like, oh my gosh, I know I'm really good friends with your mom and dad. She, of course, you know, she was like five at the time. So she has no idea who I am. And it had been maybe a year or two since I'd seen her, which is also why I didn't recognize her in the moment. But I knew that her parents would be so grateful that I happened to be in the mall that day, sitting with their daughter while she's totally lost and scared and worried. And so I tried to call her parents, and of course, they didn't pick up because, you know, they're frantically trying to find their daughter. And so I just sat and waited, and somehow we, maybe the mall security or something had called back that phone that, uh, that the other woman had called from. I don't remember how, but we knew that they were on their way. And so when her mom saw me down the hallway, sitting with her daughter... She just burst into tears, uh, one, because her daughter was safe, and two because God had sent me to them all that day to sit with her daughter while she was very lost and alone and scared. And you know it's it's those moments where uh, when we're more aware that God might be inviting us into a larger story, and that God might be nudging us, To to go look for a shirt, but I really wasn't there for the shirt. I was there to sit next to that little girl and keep her company until her mom and her brothers and sisters could come find her. When we're more aware of God in in the mundane and, and we wonder and we're more curious about what God might be up to. God is much more able to use us in those everyday scenarios where we can show up for a neighbor in need when we might not even be realizing that that's what we're doing is showing up for them. But that's how God can use us when we become much more curious about what God is up to and inviting us into.
2: Thank you for that story, Alicia. You are so right in that This practice, these practices, they expand how we interpret where God is at work in the world. It helps us to reframe the things that are happening and to see that this is actually God's agency at work here. And so it also expands our imagination of where God shows up in the world. God doesn't necessarily just show up in the church. God does show up in the church, but God also shows up in the neighborhood. God shows up at the mall. God shows up on the freeway. And because we are in the mindset of looking for God in these places, we're able to interpret the things that we see as God's activity in the world. And I want to name that some of the stories that we got from the pastors as part of the Leadership for Faithful Innovation grant, they said that the people in their congregations were sharing stories Not necessarily about where God was active in the church, but where God was active in everyday life. A lot of the storytelling that was going on was God in the day-to-day moments, and they said it was powerful for people to see that God is active in all of life. God isn't just present in the church building. God is active in the everyday, day-to-day things, the mundane, and this practice really highlights that for us.
0: Well, Thanks, you two, for a great episode of Pivot. Alicia, you and I are coming to the end of season three. I can't even believe it. We're 12 episodes of storytelling and hearing about what these practices have really meant for congregations and for and for ministry leaders. And, and kind of awakening within them, I think, maybe a hope of how God might lead us into the future. Each of our episodes has had a practice that has been a part of the Faithful Innovation Leader Companion. And as we end this season, uh, I just want to highlight, you can not only download the practices that we talked about in each of the lessons, but that uh, there's a whole workbook that both Tessa and Alicia have actually put together. From that, that's going to give you an introduction to what is Faithful Innovation. It's going to give you a bunch of practices to help you listen help you reconnect with each other, the the listenings that we talked about with God, with the people in your congregation and your neighbors, help you define the challenge in a variety of ways of what's in front of you and to reframe that challenge in some of the pivot ways that we talked about here today. And then how to cultivate faithful innovation as you keep moving forward with an eye towards the future and whatever God is leading for you. We're gonna have that information on our show notes for this. And for those that haven't listened to the other episodes of this season's podcast, we encourage you to go back. And we have also listened to them out of order. So if you just get kind of drawn into one, start wherever your the Spirit leads you. And I really believe that God is at work as we hear each other's stories, as we're reminded that God is at work even when we can't see it. And the hope that we have is not in what we do but in what God is doing around us. Alicia, any closing comments you have as we close this season?
1: Carrie, I've so enjoyed our conversations throughout this season, and they honestly have left me so hopeful. I really am excited about what God is doing in this season and in this moment in the world and particularly in the church. And I am so excited to see how God continues to work in and through um, God's people today. And so Tessa, we're so grateful to have had you with us for our closing episode of season three. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and um, your experiences and your
2: stories. We've loved having you and chatting with you today. Tessa, would you end with closing us in prayer today? I, I would be delighted. Thank you, Terry. Holy God, we thank you for the ways that you work in us and through us. We thank you for giving us eyes to see the places where you are present in the world. And we pray for ourselves and for everyone who is listening that you would be especially near to all of us, that you would give us spiritual eyes and hearts that are able to discern how you are active in our own lives. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for all of the things that you do for us and for who you are. We offer this time. We offer our lives to you as a holy sacrifice. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks
0: for joining us for this episode of the Pippet Podcast. For more leadership resources, go to faithpluslead.luthersem.edu.